Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hi, welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name's Jamie. And my name is Caitlin. (laughs) Did I forget? Did I just want to make it suspenseful? I fully bought into the narrative you just presented us with. I was like, no, she's sick. (laughs) Anyways. What is my identity? Ah! Oh, that's fun. Well, isn't that just the age we live in? It's the age of identity. We're all trying to figure it out. No, I know that I'm Caitlin. Okay, well, then that's good. I was just trying to, I don't know why, but I was trying to create suspense. I like that. <laughs> so this is the Bechdel cast. This is our podcast about how women are portrayed in movies. Mm-hmm. And how, hey, usually not very good. Another good suspense moment by yeah. you. Yeah. it's <laughs> good. This is a, a spooky, suspenseful episode. It's December. About a Christmas movie. movie. The spooky, <laughs> the, the scariest month of all, because you have to see people you do not fucking like. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. We're spending Christmas together. Yeah. Just like we spent Thanksgiving together. We're basically <laughs> domestic partners. We uh, are common law married, and I'm yeah. fine. I think when this episode comes out, I'll be with my family, and I mean, they'll never hear this podcast, which just about uh, sums up how we're all doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, this is our, our podcast about women in movies. We use the Bechdel test invented by Alison Bechdel as a yardstick, which requires, let's see how, it took a year, but maybe I can do it. Yeah. Requires two women in a scene with names talking about something other than a man for exactly two lines of dialogue. Does a movie do it? For some reason, holiday movies fare very poorly with the Bechdel test just based on what we've been doing recently. But we'll get, mm-hmm. we'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll get there. All right. Is that all our business up top? I think so. All right. Let's introduce our guest. Wonderful. He's an artist. He's a nice guy. We love him. It's Brandon Bird. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Bird. Hi. Hey. Thanks for being here. Uh, 
Thanks for having me. It's December for crying out loud. Oh, gee whiz. It's actually November. Here's, here's a little peek behind the curtain. It's actually November. November 28th. So it's it might as well be December. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is one of those long Christmas seasons because there, oh. there are five Thursdays in November. So oh. the Christmas season, which is usually just December, is now was like extra long. Ugh. Lucky us. Yeah. Lucky, wait, what are you what are you doing for the holidays? Um, well, my my business, you know, mm. I sell prints of my artwork online yes, at brandonbird.com check or store.brandonbird.com. Oh, okay. So this month is usually if things go really well, it's mm-hmm. just people ordering stuff and me just constantly mailing things. Very nice. Uh so we're here to talk about a Christmas story. Now, Brandon, tell yeah. us your history with this movie. Oh. Well, your your relationship to it. Your, Tell yeah. us everything. Yeah, get into it. <laughs> okay, well, my relationship starts with my uncle Thurb. Oh, God. Thurb? It's like we're... Thurb. <laughs> Short for Thurber. Uh, what? I, I think his does... full name is Sergeant Thurber. What? Hung... Whoa, what? that was a journey. Well, you don't have... <laughs> that was a journey of names. <laughs> uncle Sergeant Thurber. Uncle... Wait, is his name Sergeant, or is he is, like is a it's... sergeant in the his armed name is forces? Sergeant, which Sar- is my grandpa's name, too. Oh it's not spe- it's spelled Wait, differently well, than the like the layer. rank. Okay. So your <laughs> uncle is not a sergeant but his name is yeah. sergeant. Sergeant. But he goes can you just name okay. your kid president? Like can you It's spelled differently. It's like a name. Anyway, they call him Thurber or Thurb. So were you do you have a cousin named Sergeant or was your generation just ripped off with this kid? my generation my generation we all got normal names. Ah. Uh. Brandon, normal? Uh, I don't think so. Please leave. I want it. <laughs> Sergeant Bird here. So okay, so Sorry. you're so so Uncle Thurber. Thurber. Right. Uh, right, right. Thurb. We Thurb. call him Uncle Thurb. Thurb. Cash. Um introduced Cash you to this Uncle movie. Thurb. Yeah, he had he was like an early VHS adopter. Sure. He would buy movies when they were like a hundred dollars and like nineteen eighty three dollars. Right. So like he like bought Star Wars when like the first time Star Wars Thurb. came out. Like, yeah. <laughs> but we borrowed a Christmas story from him. Wow. And we watched his like little kids, and we were like, "This is the funniest thing we've ever seen! This crazy movie we never heard of." And then, you know, like ten years later, everybody was like, "Have you heard of a Christmas story?" Oh man! And I'm like, "Yeah, we borrowed Uncle Thurb's tape." Right, because this movie was not like a big it was deal. Not, it was like a, it became a big deal, as I recall, like the end of the '90s, kind of. Yeah, like when, like not until they were. Showing it on TV yeah, incessantly, yeah. <laughs> which is weird. Like, yeah, I was I was reading back some of the original reviews, and they're you know fine. Yeah. They're middling. Mm-hmm. It was just <laughs> this movie could have it was probably cheap to license. So they were like, hey, let's that's throw actually, this that's on. That's a good point. Yeah, which is what happened with It's a Wonderful Life. Like, it was not that acclaimed or popular of a movie back when it was made, and it wasn't until TV stations were like, oh, this movie is like so cheap to yeah, let's just air, and that then everyone's like, like it's a Disney. I mean, there's not a lot of big, big, big budget Christmas movies that I can think. I mean, there's. I think they're trying to turn like Elf into a thing. Yeah, but what I what I did want to say is uh, that if there's any big budget Christmas movie that deserves funding, it's mine, the one that I wrote, (laughs) called Santa University. Mm -hmm. And if anyone out there wants to give me about 150 million dollars to build an entire college campus and flood it with people dressed as Santa. They're killing each other. It's <laughs> violent. It's also a musical, so we're going to need a big budget for that. Sure. Lots of elves. There's a lot of different Santa. There's goth Santa. There's Dan Santa. There's cool Santa. <laughs> all you know, all Santas are pretty cool. All Santa, oh, Not as cool as cool Santa, though. You right. Know. 
you gotta you gotta check out this. So if any if any big wigs with three hundred million dollars <laughs> and about four years of production to just devote to this, I'd like to be flown out to I don't know to Barbados for a couple of months just to mill over Santa in in the most Santa like environment of all Barbados. Yes, of course. Okay. Um, what movie were we talking about? It's a Christmas story. Okay. Let me preface what I'm about to say with I don't like Christmas. I don't like the Christmas season. I don't like the holiday. Just uh, recite the I book. Get very, <laughs> I am Ebenezer Scrooge and the Grinch fused into one sourpuss of a, of a, of a gal who hates holiday cheer. Uh, I found spending a holiday with you to be very enjoyable. Thank you. Well, we didn't really do much to... I mean, we watched we Christmas movies and ate a lot of food. We went to Denny's, like in the Santa Claus. It was a blast. <laughs> and that was fun, yes. It was fun. Are but you, you going to do the Santa Claus? I wanted to, but I don't think this year. Yeah. I don't think it's in the cards this year. You, but should, I do, do, you should do like a whole month of the trilogy. The, oh, God. <laughs> the Santa Claus month. <laughs> what a trouble. Pass. Caitlin still won't let me do the Master of Disguise. Uh, the fact that I was able Absolutely to not. eat Geely through so early in the podcast is maybe the biggest miracle that yeah. will ever happen. Yeah, so I don't care for Christmas. I don't celebrate Christmas. I celebrate winter solstice, brag. Uh, and even not that, I don't like anything Caitlin, about I feel like you're being so hard Christmas. on yourself because you're, you're fun on a holiday. <laughs> We've exchanged gifts. I mean, I just, I don't know. I just, I hate the... The rigmarole? Yeah. <laughs> I love the rigmarole. Uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm addicted to the rigmarole. I, I'm literally obsessed with the rigmarole. <laughs> I always get, I have like seasonal affective disorder. So I always am very depressed around this time of year. Mm -hmm. I don't like all like the commercialism and the consumerism of, well, we got to buy a bunch of gifts and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. I just don't like it. Do you want to go see like a Santa with season. me? Here's a fun throwback to, I, we don't need to talk about the movie. What does talk about Christmas out there? <laughs> Do you remember the, around this time last year, like maybe a few weeks out, where I, I was late to a different episode of the back, and it's hard to remember because I'm late to a lot of them, <laughs> but I was late because I was looking for Santas all day. Oh, I do remember this. Yes. That was a fun one. Yeah, uh -huh. there was last year I got to, I, I went to like seven different malls and found as many Santas as possible. Yeah. I remember it. Come well. with me this year. Okay. I can't not do that now. Once you do it once, you have to look for as many you have to top last year's goal. Mm -hmm. Last yeah, true. year's seven full Santas. Hey, uh, okay, so A Christmas Story. Um, I did not grow up with this movie as many people did. I did not see it until probably college. Wow. Yeah, I got a late start on it, and I, until, you know, yesterday, had only seen it that one time. I will get into how I feel about the movie, but uh, based on what you know about how I feel about Christmas. You loved and it. <laughs> it's it really my favorite. your mind. <laughs> I saw this movie for the first time, I want to say, when I was probably around 10, mm -hmm. which was when I was first aware that they were really broadcasting this movie on a loop. And I associate it with being in my grandma's house in Brockton, Massachusetts, go boxers, with my <laughs> second least favorite uncle, just hurting all the children in a room saying, hey, look at this. And then shutting the door because it, that is where the children's table ended up being and they didn't want anyone going to hang out with the adults. So you'd be like, hey, look at this movie as a trick. 
and then he'd trap us with the movie and would take the remote so we couldn't change the channel. We had to keep watching the movie until Christmas was over. <laughs> I, I hate this movie. <laughs> this movie reminds me of prison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all my cousins that, that stink. Yeah, I also don't care much for it. Well, let me do the recap. Sure. So, A Christmas Story is about a little boy named Ralphie, and Christmas is just right around the corner. And he's Mm -hmm. like, I want this fucking baby gun, you guys. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. And he tells his family, and his mom's like, no, you'll shoot your eye out. Brandon, you're allowed to interrupt as much as you want during the recap. But never again after that. It's, (laughs) it's, well, (laughs) then... True. Okay, so then Ralphie has this like hallucination where he's like, "Oh, look how cool I'll be if I have this baby gun. I can protect my family." And he's very spiffy. And everyone's in that. horny. It's like it's exciting. <laughs> he's wearing like a silver sparkly cowboy outfit, <laughs> and I think he is a queer icon in that scene. <laughs> he is a queer you icon know. in that scene. You're right. <laughs> Actually, they cut. This is a bit of trivia. They cut another fantasy sequence where he's like with Flash Gordon in space. Oh, interesting. Okay, so some other stuff happens like his. It's very episodic. Yeah, I mean. It it doesn't really have like a. It's not super cohesive. His his father verbally abuses a furnace. What's his job? Is he an Oldsmobile salesman? (laughs) Is he a furnace repairman? I don't know. Unclear. This is why you don't make a movie based on a book of essays. Is that what it is? A book of essays? Well, we can get into it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, found, yeah. I found a, the book in a trash pile once <laughs> and, then, and then tried to read it. That's where you find a lot of Gene Shepherds. <laughs> That's Jean where Christmas work. stuff belongs, a trash pile. <laughs> you're, you're, I like our Grinch I'm, Cindy Lou Who vibe we've got going on. <laughs> yeah. I am. And I'm just like, I've got some Christmas story trivia. You want to hear it? I am the sergeant in the war on Christmas. Sergeant, sergeant Thurb. I am coming in full force and, but, and taking Christmas down. But Sergeant Thurber loved a Christmas yeah. story. Okay, That's the, the analogy and doesn't he, work. He loved yes. the whole oeuvre of Jean, Jean Shepard. He he was a Jean Shepard fan? That's I, so I think so, because what many people do not know is that there are like a bunch of sequels to this. To this movie? Yeah, to the Christmas story. Hmm. Um, I did not know that. Because like, it's like one of those things where like, you know, like the, they're different adaptations of like different stories. Yeah, they did like TV movies that had um, Matt Dillon as like a teenage Ralphie. Oh, Matt Dillon! <laughs> hey. and he'll then, do anything. <laughs> yeah, and in the, in, the, in the it was like this weird experience where in the the late '80s there was like this PBS special. Mm-hmm. For some reason, we taped it for Uncle Thurb. He's like, my mom was like, "Oh, he wants us to tape this thing, Ollie Hop Noodles Haven of Bliss," so and nice. we're like watching it, and we realized that. These are all the characters from A Christmas Story. What is it called? Ollie Hop Noodles, Haven of Bliss. So Noodles was in the title. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like all Jewish Shepherds right. have had these like kind of dumb big titles like that. Right. I like, I like, I don't hate Gene Shepherd's work. I became aware of him via his old, he used to have a column in Playboy hmm. back in the day. He wrote some, some fun little ditties. He's got a fun writing style. Why was this movie made? 
to me unclear yeah. but well, so yeah as you said it's very it's like episodic what? there's not a whole lot of like it's not a super cohesive story but the basic story is that this kid ralphie wants a bb gun for christmas and everyone keeps telling him he's going to shoot his eye out with it some other stuff happens he has some friends at school sometimes they get bullied sometimes they lick a pole sometimes yeah and some, it gets crazy sometimes one of them <laughs> wants to go down on a pole perform some pole cunnilingus and just and it gets and crazy it, and it doesn't work out for him um they go get a christmas tree there's the leg lamp there's pajamas there's, there's pajamas a lot of layers at one point and that's a fun Ooh, gag too another um when he puts oh, on right. the bunny another, yeah. the bunny pajamas another a queer icon. icon moment i think <laughs> there's there are a lot of moments in this movie that like are I feel like to people who have never seen because before watching it all the way through yesterday I was genuine I'm like I'm not sure that I've actually ever watched this movie all the way through because it does play on a loop during very traumatic family events (laughs) (laughs) so I'm like I've for sure seen vignettes of it but I think in my head, I'm like, well, for sure, this story, there's an overarching story. But it turns out there's not. Barely. So maybe I have. It's just that I, mean, I mean, that's why you can watch it like that, because it's just like little, <laughs> the movie itself is just little chunks. Yeah, it's kind of designed to be like watched in between arguments with your loved <laughs> yeah. ones. Maybe that's right. why they show it so much. I mean, the, the, what little semblance of story there is, is that he wants this BB gun. He asks his mom. He writes an essay about it at school. He goes to Santa and he asks for it. Every single person's like, you're we'll shoot your eye out. And then finally, Christmas morning comes. And he, he thinks, his yeah, eye. he thinks he doesn't get to black. the BB gun. But then it turns out he does. It's, again, suspense. What I'm all about. I love, you know, a good suspenseful moment in a Christmas movie. And he finds... You're a suspense head. Yeah, I love it. Um, he does end up getting the BB gun. The first thing he does with it is shoot his eye out. Sort of, it hits his glass, like the little BB hits his glasses. And then he has to make up this story about how an icicle hit him in the face. Everyone believes it. And then dogs come in. They eat the Christmas turkey. His dad's like, let's go out for Christmas. And then they go to a Chinese restaurant where a very racist scene unfolds. (laughs) And then uh, the movie ends. So yeah, that's pretty much the story. Also prominently (laughs) featured, I think, uh, relevant to what we discuss. The most prominent, the Chekhov's gun of this movie is an, a disembodied female body part. Leg? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you can plug into a wall and it lights up. Uh, just it felt worth mentioning because I was like, oh, what are like the, you know, the few images that are, that you associate with this movie? And the disembodied female calf <laughs> is, is way up there in terms of what Not you Not just remember. a calf. It's a whole, it's a thigh. It's everything. It's, it's a whole damn My thing. apologies to all you <laughs> A Christmas Story heads out there. <laughs> but yeah, it is like probably the most iconic image of the whole movie. But, but kinda, we will say, weird. as we have sort of taken to doing this, I would say female leg lamp Neither a feminist icon nor a queer icon. Definitely not. And we are the authorities. Yes. <laughs> because you know that a man saw the lady's leg off. Yeah, that's, or a, that's a real human leg that was turned into a lamp. <laughs> ooh, ooh, new fan theory. Okay, here's my fan theory. You know, okay, in Titanic 1997. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar. There's, I like to say that the year... As if it's a part of the title. Uh, in Titanic 1997, directed by James Cameron, mm-hmm. there is this scene. We will watch that on Thanksgiving. Of course. Oh, 
there's a scene where Jack Dawson is like showing Kate Winslet his drawings, right? And he's like, she was a one-legged. Also prejudiced because he's like, oh, I didn't fuck her. Look, she only has one leg. And it's like, well, what's wrong with fucking people with one leg? As mm. someone who's only fucked people with one leg, uh, no, no, that'd be fun though. Maybe it's her leg, is what I'm saying. Maybe it's oh. Jack Dawson's French prostitute's leg become lamp. Interesting fan theory, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Right. Okay. So I thought this movie was going to be worse to its female characters than it is. Me too. I thought we were going to have sort of like a sandlot situation happening where it's just like, oh, girls, how gross and awful and have some like weird moments. It's weird because I feel like the exchange is that that girls just like instead of there is a prominent female character and she's constantly abused, there's just not really a a prominent female character besides his mom. There's the... The school teacher. The teacher. The school she teacher. gets a yeah. little bit of, of yeah. screen yeah. time. Like, like it's, it is weird that there's no, like, all his friends are boys. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and that makes sense for the age that yeah, they are, yeah. which is I mean, nine. But, but you're right. There's not that, like, a lot of those movies that try to, like, let's do a movie about childhood. They try to do the, like, boys against the girls, mm-hmm. and there's nothing like right. that. They and there's do... also not that, like, uh... A lot of movies made at the same time. They were like boy centric and they were about the boy like really needing to get laid or like. Right. And I'm really glad that's not in this I I was so glad like, that nine year old boy was not trying to fuck. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean like if it case. had been if sure. Ralphie had been like thirteen, mm. it would have oh, been this like be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead, it's still like this very innocent like all he wants is a BB gun. Right, right. Like, There's, I did kind of assume that there would be more negative portrayals of women to talk about but i think the inverse which we do find kind of often is that there's just really not that much to talk about because there's not that many female characters sure i mean so the mother is definitely yes. the female character with the most screen time she starts out i assumed because ba- i didn't super remember this movie from the first time i watched it so rewatching yeah. it i was like right at the beginning i was like oh she's a shrew like Shrewy. she's yelling yeah, yeah, yeah. she's like get down here and put on your clothes and eat your breakfast and blah 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 and she seemed you know, a bit naggy and, and shrewish. But later, as the movie progresses, there's there, sort of there's a, a shift. a complexity to her. Yeah, I there mean. There is, yeah. You know, it's like she's weird. like kind of stands up to kind of protect the kids from like their dad in certain times to just be like, like she's like a good mother. Mm-hmm. The scene that I was like, oh, wow, okay, I like this character is when, although I, I hate this scene because it makes me want to throw up, <laughs> uh, when she's good, trying to good, get good. his little brother Randy to eat and she's like, really? eat like a piggy. And he's like, it's like, oh, the sounds and the, like, just the imagery of him, like, shoving his face in a plate of mash. It, like, I feel sick just thinking about it. Little Randy. But you see her being, like, fun and just, like, having this cute little moment where she's, like, trying to get her son to eat. So she, like, is kind of playful with him. And I like that. And I was like, okay, so she's not this just, like, very one-dimensional, shrewish character. She also takes revenge on the leg. Yes. She does. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That was that's I think the closest to any sort of like, whoa, okay, th- that was a little bit of uh, like fun release for a female character as we get to in this movie. Yeah, and I think some people would argue like, oh, she was just jealous that there's like this hot leg, <laughs> just this 
hot floating her, leg around. Her garbage but... husband's so horny for this non-existent <laughs> leg. She can't stand it. Like, but come on. I think that she destroyed it because she recognized that the leg was neither a queer icon nor a feminist icon. And she's like, I don't need this shit in my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the mother character is a, yeah, a little more complex than she uh, appears at first glance, at least. Agree. Um, the other thing about her, though, is that she's sort of presented as kind of the main obstacle throughout the movie, where Ralphie keeps being like, oh, my God, I want this BB gun. That's all I want. And da, da, da. And she's always saying, like, no, you can't have that. That's too dangerous. You'll shoot your eye out. So she's sort of like the big obstacle and the source of conflict. I mean, right. sort of. I feel like the dad was more the actual, like, antagonist. I th- yeah. yeah. You know, like, like he wasn't, a f- he was kind of neither for nor against the gun, but he was like the presence that could swoop in and kind of end everything. Like the the terror in the back of everyone's mind kind of thing. That's sort of something that... that I mean, I think it, it's it's fascinating that, that, you know, it's a movie about the kids and both of the adults are the essentially the bad guys. Which I think right. is pretty Which common is for, true. for like, kids, for kids yeah, when movies. You're a kid, when you're a kid, right. yeah. I think that more often than not, the the more we we do the show, often when there's not a lot to talk about in terms of, wow, there's really just not a lot of female characters in this movie. That's often because a lot of what's being dealt with, whether it's explicitly stated or not, is like hyper masculinity and, and men teaching other men how to be men. And that is, I think, what we witness you know Ralphie's dad trying to do at mm-hmm. some points, but it's you know he's it, I don't I don't know that it necessarily works, but there there's like a few lessons imparted from father to son here that's like, oh yeah, he's trying to pass on a very antiquated idea of like this is what a man does and this is how a real boy acts and all and 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 all that shit. Can I I feel like maybe I just wasn't paying that close of attention. I don't know if I saw a whole lot of that. There is like a moment where Ralphie and that kid Scott Farkas <laughs> get in Which... a fight. <laughs> and um feminist icon Scott. Ralphie kind of like beats the crap out of him because he's been yeah. bullied by him throughout the whole movie and he's had enough. He flips a table and he's like no more. No more. Scott. So, um, no more Scott Farkas. <laughs> he's swearing and he's beating him up. And then uh, Ralphie's mom shows up and she's like, come on, get home. And Ralphie's crying. So, one, I, I like that you see like little boys crying in this movie a number of times. Mm-hmm. And at one point, his dad says something like, I'll give you something to cry about. But I feel like there's not a whole lot of like hyper masculinity trying to be passed on from father to son and again maybe i'm just kind of forgetting about some specific details but i do like that you like see a little boy crying and he's worried and he's like oh i got in a fight and then his mom says something like uh, she's telling his dad what happened and Mm. she's like you know how boys are which sort of is this different way of saying boys will be boys yeah but i don't think I thought it was more just trying to diffuse the situation. Like, right, you yeah. Know, like, you don't need to know the details. Just, it's kind of over now. Yeah, I think... Because she was kind of trying to, like, shield him from the dad's anger. Right. Like, it's very strange in the movie that the dad is presented like this very, like, angry force, but you never see it directed at the kids. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like, the dad beat us, or like, oh, I'm gonna... But it's right. still... It feels it's like a there. looming threat. It's like, yeah, like it's, it's like this subtext mm-hmm. that, like, the kids know they could be the force of this anger. 
And the mom knows because she tries to shield them. Mm-hmm. But it's never like this explicit like you're still allowed True. to kind of like the dad. Which is why, yeah, I think this movie right. has the potential yeah. to kind of be worse and more toxic yeah. than it is. But the, but then I, I think that that like speaks a lot to what the mom's role is in the movie is like she is sort of directing her very angry husband's attention <laughs> elsewhere a lot of the time. Or, you know, saying, you know, I agree with you, I agree with you, but I'm going to be the one to carry out the punishment because she's trying to protect her kids, which I think with the, you know, soap in the mouth Mm -hmm. thing is that's kind of like emblematic of that. I don't know. Like the dad soap in the mouth is so weird because this is a tangent, (laughs) but that like the prop soap. Mm-hmm. Looks so unlike any soap I have ever it's seen like in my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's I was just like, like, what? Straight up red. It's blood soap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like a chunk of like rounded plastic. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, is that special punishment soap they had in like 1940? Right. When does it? Did, so this movie is bad. This is bad boy soap. You know, did soap change? I there like, over time use congealed like, blood. <laughs> And you the know, blood, the blood of like, children, like in the po- fathers like killed. Post-war America, they're like soap's white now. They're, right. <laughs> War is over. <laughs> no more fancy blood red soap. Uh, well. I don't know. I, that's interesting to me that, because I I remember one of the few things that did carry with me from past viewings of this movie into my most recent viewing is even though he doesn't explicitly do anything wrong, an intense dislike of the father character because it does seem like he's just always being held back from doing like, I, it never seems like he's like, I would never do something awful. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, try to stop me before I do something <laughs> awful. Like, yeah. and that, I mean, again, I'm not too psychologically, but like that, I mean, there's, you know, everyone has an uncle that sort of is maybe like that a little bit. Of just like, well, this isn't a good guy, but there's a lot of people around him who are trying to make sure he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Like, and and that's what the the dad character always reminds me of. And it just, I don't know, yeah, it really bugs me mm-hmm. that character. <laughs> there's another scene where you see little brother Randy crying in a cupboard. I love um, <laughs> Randy. Feminist icon Randy. <laughs> so uh, Randy is crying. This is later on in the movie. Their mother like opens the little cabinet door, and mm-hmm. she's like, "Why are you crying?" And he's like, "Cause dad, cause <laughs> yeah. dad." Daddy's gonna kill Ralphie. Right, right. And she's like, it's no, like it's, it's a not. looming threat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but back to the point that I, I like that you see like little boys crying. It's never like stop crying and man up. You don't really see that yeah. in this movie, which no. um, I think is kind of unusual and a little well, refreshing. Well, perhaps uh, let's let's give Gene Shepard a, a point. Maybe that that is one of the pros of adapting. An essay about someone's actual life is you don't maybe get the you know, opportunities to. I don't to... know if it's from his actual life. Okay, is it the, really? Like the he movie just fabricated the movie essays? set in I think 1940. <laughs> yes, like 38 to 40, like somewhere in there, because like the Wizard of Oz exists. Gene Shepard, born 1921. Yeah. So if this happened to him, he was like oh yeah, 18, he's a 19... little bit too old. Maybe that's a screenplay adaptation. Yeah, I mean, they could have just like kind of fudged, fudged some details. That's, that's, it's like a little weird. It's like Interesting. This... A writer not being completely <laughs> honest about everything? I didn't realize that there was that date discrepancy. Mm. But we're, we're, meant, we're led to believe because Gene Shepard is the adult narrator that he is old Ralphie. Can we also just talk about how there is really this influx? I and mean, this, this movie is not is by far not the worst of them. Of movies about like white male childhood that is 
narrated in a very egregious, lazy way, as opposed to setting up a story that doesn't require voiceover narration. I just <laughs> bugs me. I'm I mean, just I like, think, oh, I think this God. movie like started it. Like you wouldn't have the Wonder Years without a Christmas story. Which is fine by me, honestly. <laughs> I'm a hard pass yeah. on the one. I've had multiple chode boyfriends be like, you gotta watch it. It's Ben Savage's big brother. <laughs> You're just like, I can't What a weird this. frame of reference. There, there, well, it's, that's my frame of reference. But, but no, no, I mean, the, the, it's Ben Savage's brother, whereas like my ben generation Savage's is- Fred Savage's brother? Exactly. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> He is Corey from Boy Meets World's brother. I'm like, I don't uh, care. Yeah. I don't care. For crying out loud. Yeah, there I I caught I hate movies about childhood with voiceover narration, particularly if it's about boys. And that which I think I just hate I mean, I hate this hand lot. I hate it. Oh yeah. I hate it. It's I mean, the worst movie of all time. There's too many movies just about white male childhood. Boyhood. Period. With or boyhood. without narration. Let's my get, boyhood. Let's <laughs> Let's get my rid of them. Let's stop making these. Oh, God. But another thing I did want to point out is that Ralphie's favorite radio program is Little Orphan Annie. And yes. It, and even Ooh. at one point, he says something like, I don't have time for smugglers and pirates. Get this malarkey off the radio. <laughs> I do like the Ace of Slam. No, no, he, <laughs> he was talking about Little Orphan Annie. Yeah. That, that was a show. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's what I'm saying that he likes a narrative about a little girl, but not about, he doesn't like the pirate show. No, um, no, no, Little Orphan Annie is the pirate show. Wait, what? what? Little Orphan Annie was all about pirates and spies and, because the, 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 oh. the com- yeah, the comic and like the radio show, it was like, the story we're familiar with is all about her transition from orphan to adoption. Mm-hmm. But the bulk of like the comic and the radio show and all that was all the adventures she and Daddy Warbucks then went on. Oh. Because he's like a bazillionaire and he'll be like, let's, let's go to the jungle to now. Check out my diamond mine. What? Oh. And then like somebody would kidnap <gasps> little orphan Annie and her dog and they'd have to get out of the scrape and find Daddy Warbucks. Why and, haven't we seen that movie adaptation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's sounds like, way it, better. It, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's what I mean. It was like this like adventure Okay. Thing. I like, used to see a movie about domestic adjustment. Yeah. That's boring. <laughs> I thought that it was like the show about like, is Annie going to get adopted or not? Yeah, no. And he <laughs> loved that, but he hated pirates and stuff. No, no. Yeah, so I was going to be like, Annie, wow. Yeah. How Annie cool. was an adventure character. Who knew? Right. Not well, me. I didn't, well, that's even cooler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just going to point out that, oh, how how nice that his his favorite show is about this little girl, which is like, you know, something that maybe little girls might be more interested in listening to, whereas, you know, pirates and smugglers, oh, it, something it that little boys. Okay, got right. it. <laughs> right, well, yeah, my, that's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. My that's point, a crowd pleaser. Four quadrant hit. <laughs> my point is invalid then, but I, I am fascinated to learn that that's what Little Orphan Annie was yeah, about. Yeah, I got to look that up. That yeah. sounds amazing. Uh, something I, I did want to also talk about uh-huh. is guns and masculinity, because this movie is about a little boy who is desperate for Once a, a little gun. BB gun. <laughs> and I uh, researched some statistics about gun violence. Nope. So um, get ready oh, for some out. exciting. Everyone ready for the exciting holiday episode? Here's some statistics about gun murder. Violence. There is an article that I recommend in Time Magazine by Jill Stein. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, hang on, let me. 
Yeah. I always say that when people are talking about my mom, because my mom's name is no, Jill. Right. It's like I was talking to Jill. I'm like, Stein? <laughs> and they go, no. It's uh, Jill Filipovic. I've probably mispronounced that. Feminist icon. Feminist icon, Jill. Filipovic. We'll call her. <laughs> um, she writes an article in Time magazine. It is called One Undeniable Factor in Gun Violence, colon, Men. So in the article, it cites some statistics that since 1966, there have been 134 mass shootings. I believe that's confined to the U.S. I don't think that's worldwide. Of those, of those 134 mass shootings, 131 have been perpetrated by men. Only three by women. 90% of murderers are men. My point being... Men's fascination with guns mm. is maybe not good. You heard it here first on the Bechtel cast. Maybe guns aren't great. True. <laughs> but she, you, she do writes. You, do you, if you were to extrapolate, like, the events of the film, like, the next day or the weeks or months later, mm-hmm. I always imagine that, like, Ralphie never used his BB gun again. You know, like, that was kind of the impression that he got it, he used it, and then it was not in any way, shape, or form like what he thought it would be. I hope that mm. that's the case. Like, mm-hmm. that was just kind of the impression I got. Well, could we get the impression from... Because, like, he, he doesn't... He, he like, you know, dings his glasses, and then he has to go inside, and then, like, he leaves the gun out there, doesn't he? He has to go back right. and get Right, he does. And he even yeah. says something like, oh, but my gun's still out there, and she's like, you can get cleaned up and go get it later. Yeah. And I don't think we ever see that happen, And because instead yeah. they go to the Chinese restaurant. I think, I think you see him at the very end. I think he might be sleepy with it. Oh, that's I know, I know. I know his little brother is sleeping think, with the Zeppelin I think, toy. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Mm. We're, but it is, I mean, for most of the movie, we see Ralphie and Randy. Neither of them are like aggro children. Right. <laughs> they're, they're, being, yeah. they're being bullied. They're not they're hyper-masculine the children. Right. They're <laughs> they're regular kids. Yeah. And so it is. I, and, and basically all the information we have about Ralphie would not lead you to believe like, oh, this kid's going to fucking be weirdly into his toy gun. Which leads me to believe that, like, oh, this must symbolize something to in his head of either status or, you know, like, overcoming whatever adversity, like, as opposed to actually wanting it and thinking, oh, this is a toy I will have fun times <laughs> well, with. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, they never explain, like, why it's important. It's just the thing he's obsessing about. Right. Like, it's a symbol more than it is, yeah. like, Cause, something. Because, uh, like, a, a theme of the film mm-hmm. is these very small, like, uh, kind of losses of innocence or, like, things that don't turn out how you think they're going to turn out. Sure. And that's kind of how I took the, like, gun obsession. It was like, he's really into this, and then it's not really quite what he wants. Right. After after all the hullabaloo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To get it. Well, yeah. you do see that sort of vision that he has very early on where these, like, bad guys come, yeah. and he has his gun, and he's protecting his family. So it's this sort of, like, oh, to Some be... Some real Second Amendment this. property. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So it's sort of, like, perpetuating this idea where it's like, oh, I'm he's a man, and he needs to be the protector of his family mm-hmm. and, you know, exert this, like, machismo over people, which, like, I mean, I can't even pretend like I understand all of the psychology behind people who are obsessed with guns. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy. I should love guns, and I don't get it. 
I mean, like, Sarge, <laughs> come on, Sarge. <laughs> what like, I mean to I've say. I've only got like four or five guns. Oh, weird. You know, the one I keep in my car and then a couple under my bed. I mean, you you have so been holding get... us both at gunpoint for the duration of the episode. But <laughs> yeah, I don't, get, I don't, get, I don't, get, these, I don't get these other people who are like really super into guns. Yeah, no. like you have to have one in both of your hands at all times. But <laughs> yeah. other than that, why? why? Right. So the so, point I'm trying to make. Is okay. First, I want to say that I don't think all people who own guns are bad. Of course, I not. do. Right. I do. <laughs> Hot take. I mean, I do. I do think. I do think that all guns should be thrown into an active volcano, and that we shouldn't have guns anymore. That sounds like that would actually be pretty dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they'd like melt instantly. Yeah, they would. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think so. They wouldn't go off. I'd be concerned they go I, off. I think maybe throwing them into like a pile of fireworks might be dangerous. But yeah, a, a volcano. A volcano is generally like enclosed, kind of. Yeah, that's true. That, I've thought a lot about this, and Volcanoes that's why I picked safe. volcano. <laughs> Jamie, just come over to my volcano, and we. Can can throw in all the guns into that. I want to go to a volcano. <laughs> okay, so no, the point that what? I want to make here Where are we? <laughs> is it's just peculiar to me that this whole story is about this kid being obsessed with getting a gun and whether or not he kind of abandons it after the fact or not, we don't really know because the story ends and we can only sort of speculate. The, but the fact that this whole movie is about this kid this being obsessed of a gun. Yeah. with getting a gun sends a message that like little boys like guns and guns are maybe something to want for and and I think that helps create some problems in society. Well, well I, th- I think the reason that I assumed that he just ended up not being thrilled by the gun was like the little orphan Annie scene where he gets the he's been super psyched about getting that decoder. Right. Yeah, on him. Yeah. And then he gets it and he's like, this is going to be so awesome. I'm totally in the club now. I'm going to get these messages. And then he's just like, like a commercial, like oh, what? Be right. sure to drink your own. So I feel like that was like kind of foreshadowing, like these these very small like losses of innocence to being like, oh yeah. wait, this gun is kind of stupid, like right. Okay, but I feel like there's less of a definitive like where and he doesn't don't... he doesn't end up having any fun with it because he immediately he immediately like, suits himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. It's I mean, he's he's right happy on. about it because it re- he got the thing he wanted. Mm-hmm. His quest is fulfilled, even if the reality of it doesn't match up. He's still... Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of like, holidays for kids. It's like, well, I got the thing I kept yeah. screaming about. Now, what is, how does it work? Yeah. <laughs> like, Versus Randy, who didn't seem to have any Christmas preference. I'm totally fine with that Zeppelin. I, I love Randy, Randy. What an icon. I love him. Also, so be cute. sure to drink your Ovaltine. This podcast is sponsored by Ovaltine. Ovaltine. <laughs> so. It's true. Um, but I just want, okay, I'm going to ta- stop talking about gun violence in a second, but I have some important things to say. These are quotes oh, from okay. the article. The reality of American men and guns is as much about hypermasculine fetishization, fetishization, that's the word, it's fetish- <laughs> of murder toys as it is about tribal identity, a deepening identification of self and clan that radicalizes marginal views and magnifies personal entitlement and social distrust. This is a communal masculine ideology, not an individual one. And then she goes on to say about how like there's no lone wolves. It's like Hell a pack yeah, mentality. Joe. So it's just talking about hypermasculinity and toxic masculinity and how it perpetuates this idea that guns are cool, but they're not. They should be thrown in a volcano. The other quote I wanted to say goes... 
Almost half of the world's civilian-owned guns are in the hands of Americans, but those guns are not distributed equally. Many are hoarded by super owners, a group of mostly male extremists who make up just 3% of the adult American population, but own an average of 17 guns apiece. So... You know, a little more than what you have. And now Brennan has laid more guns out on the table (laughs) so as to demonstrate his uh, dominance. They they should do another sequel set in maybe like 1960. Like, yeah, the very early 60s -hmm. where Ralph is like a grizzled gun nut, (laughs) (laughs) like preparing for like the race war that everyone was like Mm. afraid of in the 60s. The Mm -hmm. final vignette of the Christmas story. (laughs) Um, The quote goes on to say, women are increasingly buying handguns for protection, and that seems to be their actual motivation. They own a single gun and they keep it in case of an emergency. One suspects that the imagined assailant they are protecting themselves from is a man. So there's that. Yeah. Um, The only pass I would be willing to give this movie on this particular subject, because I do think it's very... It's not a good precedent to have a little boy lusting after a gun toy for the duration of a movie. Mm -hmm. But at very least, the gun toy in question was 40 years out of anyone desiring it by the time the movie came out. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, like, if you think if this was a if a Christmas story was made in the context of it's 1983 and this kid really wants this gun toy that you can go out and get right now mm. like that that somehow makes it I mean, a think billion like, times worse I, i'm just trying i remember at the time the movie came out like you could right. get like the sears catalog or whatever mm-hmm. and they would have like bb guns and maybe other kinds of like sporting rifles like there in the catalog there yeah i mean that existed so, like, through I the remember, 90s yeah like, i remember being a kid and you know like my older brother my older brother's friends like being kind of like, oh, they're guns, cool. But it was still this very abstract thing. I didn't know anybody who, like, had a BB gun. No, I never did either. I, I knew that they existed somewhere, but mm-hmm. never Yeah, exa- where, exactly. Like, by the time I, I, like, friends I knew in the neighborhood had fake guns, they were, I mean, they did have them. And my mom was very, like, hard on, like, she yeah. ran a daycare, and if you had a fake gun, you couldn't bring it to her daycare. But, but the like all the ones that existed made laser noises. It was no longer <laughs> a well, pew well, pew pew. Well, like, you yeah. were like like I still remember before like when you can still get like f- like a water gun that looked like a real gun before they did all those laws to like add the orange tips to and make, make crazy color. Yeah, yeah, because there were like a couple shootings. Like they made those laws because they were like kids were killed because the cops were like right. that kid's got a gun, and they'd shoot him. Right, and they and were like, Ugh. <laughs> oh god. Um, but yeah, if I if I if I were a Ralphie's age and I asked for a BB gun, I think my mom wouldn't. They would say no, but they w- it wouldn't be because like yeah, like you're you're out. They'd just be like, that's a really weird request. <laughs> yeah, it's like, are you, are you also asking? torturing animals? What's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be like <laughs> this is a, I no because it goes against societal norms. <laughs> Not no because you'll hurt yourself. But but then I mean, even so, he lusts after this gun, but does experience at least a fairly large consequence if he does hurt mm-hmm. himself. Um, but then he makes up a whole story. He's not even willing to attribute it because he knows if he says, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I shot myself in the eye, his gun will get taken away. So he has to fabricate this whole story about an icicle hitting him in the face and breaking his glasses and stuff like that. Winter's the real like, villain <laughs> of hyper-masculinity. <laughs> it's winter. So I feel like he's trying to protect his gun the way his mom has to protect her kids from the f- wrath of their father. Yeah, we're going to add in this early 60s vignette. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, just like the grizzled gun nut Ralphie. It's still but, goes by Ralphie, though. Still, yeah. oh, yes. Is there a party going on There's upstairs? Like, event. what's happening? <laughs> I'm okay. not sure. If you can hear some chatter in the background and some music. We weren't invited, is it all I know. Sounds fun. Oh, let's talk about the teacher a little bit. Okay, yeah. Uh, another person other who, character. yeah, the one other female character with pretty much any lines, she is also sort of depicted as a shrew at the beginning um, and then kind of softens a little bit as the movie goes on. But there is one point where Ralphie's having another vision. Uh, I like to call them, I think he's tripping on acid this whole movie and he's having a, a yeah. hallucination. <laughs> but I think he has like just gotten his paperback talking about what yeah. he wants for Christmas mm-hmm. and she's given him a C plus. So he envisions her as like this witch, wicked witch type character. So he sees her as a mean little bee. And yeah. it's really, hey, maybe take some responsibility for your own writing. Yeah. You earned like the C plus. Not her fault. It mm. seemed very poorly written. Yeah. So. We're just judging by his voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. You've got to you've got to build on your ideas there, Ralphie. Gene. Jeez. Yeah, can't but just he becomes say, like, Gene. He becomes a guy who writes a lot of short things for money. Uh, <laughs> you know what? That's that's evidence that Ralphie is not Gene. That's ooh, okay. Okay. Yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't have the touch. Does anyone have any other thoughts about the movie? Uh, I would say Scott Farkas feminist icon. <laughs> I think that was my last my last major thought on this film. Sure. Let's talk about whether or not the movie passes the Bechtel test. Uh, I I'm gonna argue <laughs> that, a good drum roll. As much as I don't want it to, I think that it does. I thought in it one did. tiny, tiny scene. Yep. Where what? students are filing in and giving Miss Shields, the teacher, mm-hmm. um, little Christmas gifts. There's a name exchange, is mm-hmm. there not? Yeah. One student puts something on her desk. She says, thank you, Heather. Heather says, Merry Christmas. The teacher says, Merry Christmas. Rats. <laughs> Rats. We know her name. We it's know both characters' names. This movie passes better than Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse <laughs> of the Black Pearl does. God damn it. Which is apparently inspired by Little Orphan Annie, because it's about pirates God and adventures. damn it. <laughs> I mean, it's like the bare, bare, bare minimum. Because we, we never see that Heather yeah. character again. We don't see her speaking. She has no significance in the story. Well, And, and so as we often... Uh, I would say of the movies that pass the Bechdel test that we have covered on this podcast, at least 50% of them are a barely pass like mm-hmm. this. Like... You know, you get it on a technicality. Yeah. It was almost definitely an accident that this happened. Yeah. This movie predates <laughs> sure. the Bechdel test. Because at no other point in the movie does it even come close no. to passing. No. In fact, it's mostly boys talking to each other or boys talking to their mother. Yep. So. Well, mm-hmm. I I agree with you. I was, I was, almost, this is this is a weird experience where I was almost disappointed that it passed. I was like, ah, I guess they get it. <laughs> I guess that they I didn't did. even notice it until my second viewing. I was like, oh, wait, hate it. Wait, there, there's two women talking. I jotted it down in dismay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same. So let's then rate the movie on our nipple scale, where we rate the movie based on its portrayal of women, zero to five nipples. And then you can describe the nipples or give them away to anyone you want, a character in the movie. Usually a character, but I mean, one of your loved ones, Anything. if you feel comfortable doing so. Give one to, give one to Sarge. Yeah. yeah. Sarge Thurbis. What's Sarge. his name? Thurbis? Thurbis. <laughs> <laughs> Thurb, right? Yeah, short for Thurber. Thur- yeah, Thurbis. Actually, short for Thurbis. <laughs> Thurb. 
Uh, okay, so I'm going to give this movie a... Ooh, it's probably going to be like a one and a half. I do like that the two main female characters, the mother and Miss Shields, the teacher, mm-hmm. aren't as one-dimensional as they... They kind of grow. There's an, a little arc there. The mother seems like a good mother, and she's not just like this one-dimensional shrew that we are led to believe in the first few scenes. But other than that, just the idea that the movie is about a little boy desperately wanting a gun and all of his little adventures that he has with feminist icon Scut, and then his friends named Flick and Schwartz. Honestly, if you don't name your your kid Scut, you're crazy. But uh, it gets a one and a half nipples, and the nipples belong to the leg lamp, which may, oh, wow. I think, Empower could her. maybe have Empower a her. nipple or two. Or, t- or one or and a half. half. <laughs> I'll give it one and a half as well, mm-hmm. because, I mean, obviously... This movie is about white male childhood, or as it was known in 1983, childhood. Right. Uh, And it's weird because it's like this movie does not abuse that premise as much as I assumed it did. Um, Except for that last scene in the Chinese restaurant, which was very uncomfortable. Yes. I mean, well, this is a white, 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 white movie. There are a few students of color in his class, although they get no lines, very little screen time, and it yeah. is predominantly an extremely white It's a movie. It's, it's a white, white movie. As hell. All that said, uh, I, I do think that, yeah, there, there were, I, I hate to reward a movie for not making its female characters shrews by default and giving them character by default, but uh, the two female characters we do manage to see in this movie, although they would never be permitted to speak to or view each other, um, <laughs> they do both have more depth than you would assume especially seen through the eyes of a little boy. Yeah. So in in that way, I liked it. I like the mom character quite a bit, and I feel for her. So I'll give one of my nipples to mom, and I'll give a half a nip to Scott. Great. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Brandon? I'm, I might go a little higher, like maybe an even two nipples. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just because I feel like... This is a weird thing to say, but I feel like it gets some points for, I guess, omission rather than like because right. a lot of movies that are quote unquote classics from the same period mm-hmm. are like unwatchable now because you're just like, oh wait, this movie is actually about some gross kid trying to get laid. Take e- yeah, and take every opportunity to make that joke over and over and over. Yeah, and and this is sort of like, oh, they just that's just not part of the content, right? I mean, it'd be great if they were, like, more actual characters, but there also right. aren't, you know, like, girls as just objects of, like, Ralphie and his friends, either, like, derision or desire. Right. Like, they're, the female characters we do manage to see are not being overtly abused over and over <laughs> and over, which is, again, yeah, like, the om- the omission thing, but... For a 1983 movie, or mm-hmm. I mean, I think we were all kind of pleasantly surprised. There is yeah, a tiny little scene. There's a lot of sorry, like the 
you know, of that period, like kind of like meatballs and like all those like yeah, 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 ra- raunchy things, whether it's about like, you know, hey, let's have a scene where the boys like find a Playboy, like that kind of like. Mm-hmm. And but, I hate to keep going back to The Sandlot, but that movie is that all over yeah. where they use the, the whole like, oh, well, it's a different time. So everyone was fucking disgusting mm-hmm. and was raping kids. Like it was just like disgust, like awful. Th- that Yeah. And then they were like. Oh, you're a girl because you're kind of displaying some signs of weakness, and like that's the right. worst insult ever. And this movie does not take doesn't those yeah. doesn't do that. No, there is a scene where like just a quick little scene where um they're all sitting down to dinner, and the dad is like, "Got up and get me this. I want seconds." And she's like, mm-hmm. "Okay." And then she's about to eat again, and mm-hmm. then Ralphie's like, "Actually, can I have some more too?" And then she has to put her fork down, yeah. get up, and just, and like. The voiceover says something like, my mom hasn't had a hot meal for herself in 15 years, but that's really right. all it does to yeah. acknowledge that, like, like, they're... I feel they really don't bad for, like, <laughs> yeah. making my mom do all that stuff. Right. So that was, I was just yeah. like, oh, poor mom. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for letting yeah. me talk about my favorite movie. Mm. <laughs> Where can we find you on the World Wide Web? Well, you can go to brandonbird.com. Just in time for the holiday season yeah, to buy can, some prints. Yes, yeah. I have greeting cards. Yeah. Christmas baubles. Whoa. You got, I didn't know you had baubles. Oh, yeah. oh, baubles I didn't galore. Know that. Lots of fun stuff. Hey, you can follow the Bechtel cast on Twitter, Instagram. Facebook. It was oh, was suspense I supposed again. to pick up on that? No, oh, okay. no, no, no. I was just uh, you know, pausing for, for suspense. And sign up for our Patreon where you can get two extra episodes a month at patreon.com slash Yeah, It's only $5. That's, what a gift. Yeah. To yourself. To yourself. To your friend. Give yourself a gift. Give your friends, your mom, your dad, anyone in your family. We don't care. We're starving. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find us there. Uh, Yes, indeed. And happy holidays. Happy freaking holidays, everybody. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.